Well, because every word of God matters, and because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please open your Bible to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 24 to 37. I'm going to read verses 24 to the end of the chapter to verse 37. And then we'll look to God again in prayer and begin to meditate on this text. Hear then the word of the Lord from Mark chapter 7, verse 24. My translation won't be too different from yours. I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. Verse 24. Jesus got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. Now, the woman was a Greek, or was Greek, a Syrophoenician, Syrophoenician by birth. And she kept asking him to drive the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, allow the children to be satisfied first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed and the demon was gone. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who also had a speech difficulty and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. So he took him away from the crowd privately. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately, His ears were opened, his speech difficulty was removed, and he began to speak clearly. Then he ordered them to tell no one. But the more he would order them, the more they would proclaim it. Verse 37. They were extremely astonished and said, He has done everything well. He even makes deaf people hear and people unable to speak talk. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We have gathered, like we said already, we have gathered to praise you, the God who opens deaf ears and opens muted mouths. We have gathered to praise you, the God who can cast out demons and break the back of sin and its dominion on our lives. We have gathered to praise you, the God who answers prayer. Indeed, even the God who tests our faith. So, Father, please help us. We are your needy children here this morning, and we desperately need your Holy Spirit to open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts to your word. Lord Jesus, we remember your words. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us now. As you have spoken to us already, we pray that you would speak to us now and draw near to us. And help us to feed on your son, Jesus, by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Mark chapter 1 verse 1 begins the whole story saying the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's what Mark's writing about. Jesus, the Messiah. Christ means Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's what the whole book is about. It's about Jesus. And so what we are going to do this morning is obey 2 Timothy 2.8. In 2 Timothy 2.8, Paul's very last letter in holy writings in the Bible, in the canon, his very last letter before he died, he said to Timothy, he gave a command that's just a good command to always obey. He says this, keep your attention on Christ Jesus, as risen from the dead and descended from David, according to my gospel. That is a great command. Timothy, I'm going to die. I have one command for you, and he had a lot in the letter. But here's the main command. Keep your attention on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Remember Jesus. Not just remember who he is, but call him back to your memory again and again and again. Because when you see and remember Jesus, you draw near to him. And when you draw near to Jesus, you are changed from one degree of glory to the next, according to 2 Corinthians 3.18. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.2, when he spent 18 months at a church plant in Corinth, you know what he said in 1 Corinthians 2.2? I desired... Or I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was his main message. I want you to know who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And he was crucified for your sins. For my sins. And he has risen from the dead. And that's the main message. And so we're going to focus on Jesus here. And I love this section because Mark gives us a different spin to a familiar person named Jesus. We know Jesus, but he's not as familiar to us as he's presented here in this passage before us, particularly the first passage in verses 24 through 30. Here's the main point. If you're saying, okay, PJ, I'm here this morning. What's the main thing God wants me to get? Here's the main thing, at least the main point of this passage. Jesus is powerful and willing to save sinners. So look to him. Jesus is powerful, able, and willing. He's willing to save sinners. So look to him. And that's the main application. Look to Jesus. So here's the two points. I'll give you the two points ahead of time. The first story is look to Jesus who eventually intervenes to overpower demons. And I'll change that a little bit at the end. But look to Jesus who will eventually intervene and overpower demons. It's verses 24 to 30. And in the second story, verses 31 to 37, look to Jesus who opens deaf ears and mute mouths. Look to Jesus who opens deaf ears and mute mouths. So look to Jesus. Let's look at this first point here. Look to Jesus who eventually intervenes to overpower demons. Look at verse 24 again with me. It says, Jesus got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, why did he go to the region of Tyre and Sidon? That is not Jewish area. That is not Jewish territory. That is Gentile territory. That is the territory of those who don't have the law covenant of the Old Testament. They don't believe in the law of Moses and all of the prophets and the Psalms and the poetry. They don't believe in the Old Testament scriptures. These are pagans. Jesus goes up north to that region. He's getting away. He is retreating from the people of Israel. He's retreating from the Jews. And that's why you read in verse 24, he entered a house and he didn't, what did he not want to happen? He didn't want anyone to what? Notice that he was there. He didn't want anyone to know he was there. He's hiding out. He's hiding from people. He wants a retreat. Remember, he tried to have a retreat 
we said when he fed the 5,000? Remember, he took his disciples. They went to another side of the, of the Lake of Galilee. And as they get out of the boat, there's 30,000 people there in a deserted place waiting for him. Trying to get, get time alone with your disciples. There was no alone time. Here's where they won't follow me. They won't follow me into Gentile regions. If I go deep into Gentile territory, the Jews won't follow me there. So he gets away from the Jews. And he succeeds. There's barely any Jews there. But, did he escape notice altogether? No, somebody noticed him. Now look at verse 24. He didn't escape notice. Verse 25 says, who noticed him? Immediately, after hearing about him, someone, word got out, Jesus is in town. This Jesus that, that, that's been doing all these miracles down south, he's in town. So, verse 25, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. So here's the situation. Jesus is trying to get away, but he gets noticed. One more reason he tried to get away. Just backstory. The day after, remember after he fed the 5,000, he walked on water that night or that morning. Remember we talked about Jesus walking on water and then he got to the other side. When he got to the other side with his disciples, a crowd came again and they wanted more food. And this story is told in John chapter 6. If you read John chapter 6, after the feeding of the 5,000, the next day, the crowd gathers to the other side where Jesus is, and they want him to feed them again. Okay? That's what they want. And so Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever go hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever thirst again. John six thirty-five. And then they say, well, give us the food. And Jesus says, this is where, now picture a big crowd here. And this is what Jesus says. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll never have life. And they're like, what? Oh, you didn't hear me? I said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have life. And people are grossed out. Cannibalism? What? What is he talking about? He didn't explain it. He just said it. And the crowd, he just left it there with the crowd. You know what they did? The crowds turned away. And didn't follow him anymore. They didn't want any part of that. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and he says to Peter and the rest of them, Are you guys going to leave too? And what does Peter say? Where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And Jesus said, Yeah, you're right. And that's, didn't I choose 12 of you? And one of you is a devil, a demon. He's speaking of Judas. And the fact that he's going to betray him. But the point here is that these people who are following Jesus were following him for what? The food. And when Jesus said, I'm the food, eat this body, drink this blood inside my body, and you'll have life. They're like, ugh, what? And you could even almost hear the disciples, no, church growth. What are you doing, Jesus? You're ruining the growth of the church. They're turning away. Stop saying that. Jesus doesn't explain it. He just lets them walk away. Now, that was the final straw. Well, that and then we learned a few weeks ago in Mark chapter 7. Remember the elders and the Pharisees came and talked about their tradition over against Jesus' teaching? And there's a clash there. So you have the large crowds rejecting Jesus because they don't like his hard sayings. You have the leaders of the Jews rejecting Jesus because they place their traditions over the teaching of Jesus. And so Jesus concludes at this point in his ministry that the Jews and Israel has rejected him. And that's why he's going away. He's taking a retreat because he's going to prepare his disciples for the fact that he's going to die and rise again. He's moving from presenting himself as the Messiah to the people to saying, you guys don't want me? 
The crowd doesn't want me. The leaders don't want me. Okay, he's retreating now. Disciples, get ready. I'm going to show you who I am because I'm going to die and I'm going to rise. That's what he's doing in this retreat. And as he goes to this retreat, his retreat gets spoiled by this woman. What are you doing here, woman? Right? What you know, you're here. Why is she there? What does she have? She has a daughter who has a what? A demon or an unclean spirit in her, right? And so she has a daughter. And if you were a mother, you would do the same thing, right? You would just be desperate and you would go. And so she goes to Jesus. So here's the first thing is look to Jesus. When I talk about looking to Jesus, look to Jesus here, even when he's preoccupied. What was Jesus' point? To get away, right? Should you still look to Jesus when he has another priority? Yes. Does this woman still look to Jesus? Yes. But Jesus is like, I'm trying to get away. I don't care if you're trying to get away. I need help. And so I say this to you as well. Don't make the excuse that Jesus is too preoccupied to help you. He's not. Okay, but let's continue in verses 20. Look at verse 26. So here's this woman. Now, why else should you look to Jesus? Look to Jesus even when he calls you names. Look at verse 26. Here's the woman. She was Greek. She's not Jewish. She's a Syrophoenician by birth. And she kept asking him to drive out a demon from out of her daughter. So this woman has four strikes against her. Three strikes and you're out. And this woman has four strikes against her. Why Jesus should not or would not in, in that cultural milieu, in that day, why he should not be ministering to her one-on-one in this moment. Number one, she's a woman. Number two, I'm just saying in the cultural context of the day. Number two, she's a Gentile. More than that, she's a Syrophoenician. That's where Jezebel was from. You remember Jezebel, the most wicked queen in Israel? Okay, so she's a Syrophoenician by birth. Not only that, she has a daughter with a demon in her. That's unclean, right? For four reasons, Jesus should be like, get away from me. But she, she goes anyways. And so verse 27, Jesus says to her, so she's saying, please help me. My, my daughter has a demon. And what is, what's Jesus' reply? Allow the children to be satisfied first because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What does that mean? What does that mean? Now, I didn't realize that there would be confusion about this because I've taught this text before, but I do realize. So the children there, if you want to know what that means, turn to, first, turn to Matthew 15, or just listen. Matthew 15, verse 22, has the same story, but it gives a, another perspective on it. It gives another quote from the same conversation. In Matthew 15, 22, um, she's crying out, and she's basically, she's basically bugging the disciples because she wants help. And the disciples get so annoyed with her, so tired and weary of her begging, that they say, Lord Jesus, can you just please talk to her? She's bugging us. She's killing us. Just talk to her. So she's talking. Imagine them at a table hanging out. Here's this woman on the side. Please help me. Please help me. Please help my daughter. Please help my daughter. Please help my daughter. And she's just tapping all the disciples. Can you please tell Jesus to help my daughter? And they're all ignoring her. Eventually, the disciples say, Lord, just talk to her, please. And then what does Jesus say in verse 22 of chapter 15, Matthew 15, or 24? He says, I was sent only to the what? To the lost sheep of where? Of the house of Israel. Verse 25, but she came and knelt before him. So now he's talking to her. So she goes and kneels right in front of him in verse 25. Lord, help me. Verse 26, he answered, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to their dogs. Okay, now let's go back to Mark chapter 7. Do you get it now? Who are the children? That lost sheep of the house of? Israel. Who are the dogs? 
Those who are not part of the house of Israel. The Gentiles are the dogs. She's a Gentile. So here she is begging for help. And Jesus says, you're not, you're not an Israelite. You're a dog. Wow. Is that a different perspective of Jesus? Have you thought about that? That Jesus says, you're not an Israelite. You're not, you're not one of the children. You're a dog. That's what he says to her. He's essentially calling her ceremonially and spiritually unclean. She's a dog. Now, some people try to... This is a different word for dog. Now, a few things we have to learn about, know about dogs in the Bible times. Number one, dogs were not... I mean, we love dogs today, especially if you live in the city. Like in the city of L.A., people love dogs sometimes more than children. It's kind of weird, but that's it's kind of where, where our culture is in some ways, right? You could get animal rights for things, but not for abortion or things like that for the, the babies. But I digress there. My point here is that people love dogs these days. They're domesticated, they're cute, they're clean, they're groomed, and so forth. Back then, dogs were scavengers. They were not household pets. They were wild they were scavengers, they were nasty, they were dirty, they were, you know, they, they were off-putting. You chase dogs away. So Jesus here is not, you can't read this in a nice way. Well, maybe Jesus said, you know, these are the children, but you're like a nice, cute little puppy. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, let the children eat first, and it's not right to take the bread of the children and throw it to the dogs. That's pretty insulting. Jesus is not, now, Jesus is not being sexist here. He's not being racist. It can almost sound like he's being racist, right? You're not part of this ethnicity, the Jewish people. He can almost sound racist here, but he's not making a racist comment. He's making a spiritual, ceremonial comment. You are ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. You are cut off from the people of Israel. And it's true. Is she an Israelite? Is she under the law covenant of Moses? Is she part of the covenant of people of God at this time? No. It's true. Let me give you an example of this. In case it, I know this sounds like a hard saying. Let me give you an example of this. Jabari Parker, he's a basketball player for the Milwaukee Bucks. On Sports Illustrated in 2014, they did an article on him called The Education of Jabari Parker. So if you don't know anything about basketball, you'll still be able to understand this. Okay, so Jabari Parker was a college basketball player, one of the best high school players in the, in the nation. And so... He went to Duke University, where Coach K is the coach. He's one of the greatest college coaches in college basketball. And so the coach calls, calls Jabari Parker in to have a seat during a video session. And he says, to, he says to Jabari Parker, he calls him in for a meeting. He says, you think you're in trouble, don't you? And he says, yeah. And he's like, this isn't one of those meetings. And the article goes on to say, sitting side by side, they watched video of a scrimmage, of a practice game. Shashevsky, that's Coach K, hit pause. He says, look at your feet. They're in the wrong position. Parker nodded. Shashevsky stood and demonstrated the correct stance. Moments later, Shashevsky stopped the tape again. Look at your hands, he said. They're not ready. I got to change that, Parker said. On the next sequence, Coach K zeroed in on Parker's hips. They were turned in the wrong direction. And then Coach K says, this is about precision and doing physical things to create better habits. It's what the guys I coach in the summer do. Kobe and LeBron and Durant are, are precise. Those are the best basketball players in the world today. After an hour, Krzyzewski turned off the film. I never realized I looked that bad, Parker said. Krzyzewski leaned in closer and looked into Parker's eyes. 
It's not personal. It's not personal. It's the truth. It's not personal. It's the truth. Your hands are in the wrong position. Your hips are in the wrong position. Your feet are in the wrong position. I'm not personally attacking you. It's true. It's the truth. And that, that's what you can almost hear Jesus saying that here. This is not a personal attack on this woman. It's the truth. It's the truth. You're not part of the covenant people of God. And Parker responded, to go back to the article, Park, it, says, Parker, it says, Parker left the theater energized. And then he says, in high school, I used to watch highlights of myself in my living room, Parker says. I basically focused on my scoring. Watching film with coach is totally different. It's very different. It's intense. I came to Duke for experiences like this. I came to learn, basically. Right? It's the truth. It's not personal. It's the truth. And so, this is what is going on here. Paul reminds us that this is the truth. Listen to Ephesians 2, 11 and 12. Don't turn there. Just listen to Ephesians 2, 11. It says this. He says this about non-Jews. So then remember... Gentile Christians, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called uncircumcised by those that called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without the Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 12. Before you came to Christ, as a non-Jew, you didn't have the covenants. You didn't have the Messiah. You were cut off from the promise. You were without God and you were without hope in the world before you came to Christ. Isn't that right? We were. It's true. It's not personal. It's true. And so, here's Jesus telling this woman, don't give the children's bread to the dogs. Now, you can be offended at that truth, Jabari Parker could have been offended at that truth. This woman could be offended at that truth. Or you could accept it like Jabari Parker did. And you could accept it like this woman did and continue on. So she continues on. Look at verse 28. Mark chapter 7 verse 28. After being called a dog. What does she say in verse 28? But she replied to him. Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Can I have a crumb? Can I get a little, little bit of crumbs on the floor? What does Jesus say? Then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her children, her child lying on the bed and the demon was gone. So what are we learning here? Look to Jesus, even when it seems like he's telling you no. Even when it seems like he's telling you no. Did she keep looking to Jesus or did she, was she put off? She kept looking, right? She could have been offended. You're calling me a dog? How dare you call me a dog? I'm out of here. But when you're desperate and your daughter has a demon and you know, you believe, you trust that this is the only man who can help you and help your daughter, you don't care if he calls you a dog, especially if it's true. You just take it, you, you actually embrace it and you move on. And that's what she did. Not only did she just, she didn't ignore his words. She embraced it, didn't she? Jesus tells a parable. Don't give the children's food for the children must be fed first and it must not be thrown to the dogs. What does she do with that parable? She jumps into the parable. She knows who she is. Who is she in the parable? She's a dog and she doesn't begrudge it. She jumps into it. That's what parables are supposed to do. You're supposed to hear a parable and you hear the word of God and you jump into it. You don't avoid it and get offended by it. Remember when Jesus told the parable of the four soils? There's seed thrown into the somewhere on rocky ground, somewhere on thorny ground, somewhere eaten by the birds, and somewhere on good soil. 
You're supposed to enter that parable. Which one am I? Whenever you hear parables, you shouldn't get offended by it. You should enter into it. What do you have for me here, Lord? What can I learn? And so here she's not offended. She enters into the parable. She calls, she embraces her title of dog here because she is cut off from Israel. And then she moves forward in faith. Now, I want to see, I missed this. I had to, I learned this from studying it and from hearing from others. I wonder if you can catch it in verse 27. Do you see a word in verse 27 that she's clinging to that makes her keep going? Anyone? I'll give you a few seconds. First, first, allow the children to be satisfied first because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, you could be offended by the dog part and walk away. Or you could listen carefully to the words of Jesus and say, you said first, which means there's a second, right? After the children eat, isn't there leftovers? And she jumps into the words of Jesus, into the parable, and she clings to it. She will not let her pride get in the way of getting the grace she so desperately needs. She humbles herself, hears the words of Jesus, and enters into it. And she looks to Jesus. She clings to that word first. She owns the reality. And she passes Jesus' test. She passes the test. She has real faith. She's not just looking for a... She's not looking at Jesus as a, as a magic lamp where you just rub it a few times and you get your wish. She's actually interacting with Jesus as a person, as God. She's submitting to Jesus. You know, there's two wrong ways to go to God. One wrong way to go to God is as if he's a genie and he owes you whatever you ask him. Wrong. If, if Jesus is a genie, if God is a genie, then who's the real God? It's not the genie, it's the one who has the lamp, right? Are you God? I mean, if, if God has to do everything you say, then you're God and not him. There's another wrong way of approaching God. It's the, I would call the, maybe the discontented father approach. Where, you know, the father who's always crossing his arms and you could never do good enough for dad. And you're always trying to please him, but you never measure up. Some people approach God like that. Oh God, if I just work hard, if I just read my Bible more, if I just go to church more, if I give more, if I do these things, then maybe, maybe you'll like me. That's wrong too. God is not a genie. God is not a discontented father. But you have to come to God on whose terms? On his terms, not yours. You don't write the rules unless you're God. You come under his rules. You come on his terms or you don't come at all. And most people would get cut off here and walk away. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. What does the crowd do? They walk away. I'm not coming to you on those terms. No, no, no. But this woman has real faith. See, they wanted Jesus' blessings, but they didn't really trust in Jesus, the crowd. They just wanted the food. And when Jesus tests them, they fail. When Jesus tests this woman, she believes. This is real faith. This is what we call persevering faith. I'm going to keep asking God because I know that he is gracious. And he is. He is gracious. And so we learn here that we need to wrestle with God the way she wrestled with God. Do you remember the story of Jacob in Genesis 32? In Genesis 32, Jacob is coming back home to, see, to, to the land of Canaan, the promised land. And his brother Esau wants to kill him. His brother's a hunter and a tough guy. And Jacob was kind of the, um, the stay-at-home guy, right? And so he... He was coming back home and his brother 
was a fierce warrior, and he's scared of his brother. So as he's on his way back home, he runs into God, an angel. God comes in the form of an angel or form of a man. And it's the middle of the night in Genesis 32. And it says, Jacob was left alone in Genesis 32, 24. And a man, a man wrestled with Jacob until daybreak. It's middle of the night. He's wrestling, hours of wrestling. And then the, day, the, the sun starts coming out. And it says in verse 25 of Genesis 32, when the man saw that he could not defeat Jacob, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled, and he dislocated his hip. Now, that would usually, you'd say, ow, and let go, right? Not Jacob, verse 26. Then he said to Jacob, let me go, for it's daybreak. And then Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And then he says, what is your name? My name is Jacob. You'll no longer be called Jacob. You'll be called Israel because you you have struggled with God and men and prevailed. And then he said, please tell me your name. He's answered, the angel answered, why do you ask my name? And the angel blessed him. He wrestled with God and prevailed. This woman here wrestles with God and prevails. God is calling us to wrestle with God and prevail. Keep coming. Look to Jesus, even when it seems like he's telling you no. He could be just testing your faith. And if you give up and complain and and just throw up your hands and say, how dare God make me jump through this hoop? then it's because you want to be God or you, want, you don't want it to be God's way. And if you fail the test, if you don't believe in God, you're going to walk away from him because he's not doing what you want him to do. He's not bowing down to you, ironic as that sounds, right? Okay, so let's look to Jesus. It says here, so if you're not a Christian, what is God telling you? God is telling you that you're in a desperate position and only who can help you. Only Jesus can help you. Now, most non-Christians don't become Christian until they feel desperate. Until they feel desperate like this woman. She was desperate, right? She had to have Jesus. There was no other way about it. She had to have Jesus. And so sometimes people who are not Christians say, you know, I don't need God. And then when they get in a desperate situation, they come to God. And sometimes when their situation gets cleared up, they start walking away from God again until another desperate situation. That's not faith. That's not faith. Right? That's coming to God sort of as your genie. Please help. 911. And then when, when he, he helps you out, you, you go back the other way. And that is not what you need. You need to understand that you are desperate. E- hear this. Even if you don't feel desperate, you are desperate. You might not feel it, but you're in a dreadful predicament as sinners. We are in a dreadful predicament as sinners. We are under the wrath of God, the judgment of God for our sins. And there is hell for sinners like us, like me. That's a dreadful predicament. And we don't always feel it, but it's true. So I just want to encourage you, if you're not a Christian, understand that you are a sinner like I am a sinner and that we need the grace of God and you need to call out to him to save you. If you're a Christian, we need to keep looking to Jesus, keep looking to him, even when he seems preoccupied, even when he calls you a sinner or a dog, even when he seems to be telling you no. Keep looking and coming to Jesus. And for our church family, what does this mean for our church family? This means that we need to not grow weary in praying. Our spiritual warfare is real. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities, rulers, authorities, against world powers of this darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. We are in a spiritual warfare, church family. Church is not a picnic. It's a war. We are together as a, as a, as a unit in this spiritual war. And we are trying to make progress of growing in our faith, killing sin on our own lives, and spreading the gospel. 
And so Paul says at the end of this whole spiritual warfare passage, he says, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert in it with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray, pray, pray. If you trust in God, if you know you need God, and if you feel like God's not answering your prayer, pray again. Let us keep praying. Together, let's pray. Sunday nights, if you can, pray during the week. Pray for the members. Pray for the church. Pray for other churches. Pray for the spread of the gospel, because this is a war. And Satan is real. And Jesus hears prayer. But he tests our faith. He tests our faith. And if we're honest, we can say we believe that God answers prayer, but we can just we can say it all we want. But our true faith is measured by the consistency and content of our prayers. How frequently are we praying? And what are we praying for? Okay, so Jesus, look to, look to Jesus as he lovingly tests us. And the second point, and it's shorter here, even though it's the same amount of verses. Verses 31 to 37, let's look to Jesus who opens deaf ears and shut mouths. So here again, Jesus goes to another part of Tyre in verse 31, to the region of the Decapolis. In verse 32, some guys bring to him a deaf man who's deaf and mute. And you know this, if you you have any deaf friends, I hope you have some deaf friends perhaps, I I have some deaf friends. If you have deaf friends who can't hear, they can't speak either, generally. Why? Because they can't hear what they're saying. They can't hear the words and so they don't know how they sound. Okay, And so they're generally deaf and mute. Or what, what the, the former word used to be, dumb. Not dumb in an intellectual sense, but just in a I can't speak, can't articulate sense. That's the old word for it. So deaf and mute. And so here's a man who's deaf and mute. And you got to understand, if you're deaf and mute, and that's rare, right? That's not the majority of the culture. If you're growing up in a village and you're one of the deaf and mute people, you're probably made fun of a lot by some of the other kids, right? And you're isolated somewhat socially. They say if you're... Um, I can't remember the quote, so I won't say it. We'll just continue here. So here's the deaf and mute person. And so what does Jesus do in verse 33? They bring him to Jesus. And in verse 33, Jesus takes this man away from the crowd. This man has been looked at by the crowd all the time. He's the deaf guy. He's the deaf and mute guy in the area. So instead of embarrassing him, he's been a spectacle for most of his life. Let's go away privately. He takes him away privately in verse 33. And then he puts his fingers in the man's ears. Remember, he's deaf, right? The man is deaf. So Jesus takes his fingers, sticks it in the man's ears. Then he spits, maybe on his hand, you know, maybe he spits on his hand, and then he touches the man's tongue. He tells the man, you know, stick out your tongue, okay? Spit on his fingers, touches the man's tongue. Ears, tongue. And then he looks up to heaven, he groans and he says, Ephatha, which is a command saying, be opened. Now, what is he commanding there? commanding the ears and he's commanding the the mouth or the tongue right he he commands it how can can you command eardrums can you command a mouth it doesn't make sense they're not persons but god can command anything right let there be light and there was light remember the storm mark chapter four he looks out on the storm after they wake him up and he says peace be still he can command storms the winds and the waves obey him ears obey him mouths obey him So he puts his fingers in the ear, touches the mouth. And we learn here, we need to look to Jesus because he's not limited by our limitations. He's going to open this man's ears and open this man's mouth. And he communicates to this man. If Jesus, now, how else could Jesus have done it? He could have just said, be opened, right? He could have just said, be opened. Why didn't he do that? 
What is this man? What's the problem with this man? He's what? Deaf. If he says, be opened, would the man hear it? No. No. So why is Jesus touching his ears? He's communicating on this man's level. I'm about to heal your ears. I'm about to heal your tongue, your mouth. Then he speaks. Why? Because when Jesus saves you, he doesn't just save you. He communicates with you that he's saving you. He gets to our level. Praise God that he talks to us in a way that we can understand. He's not always above our heads. If he would have just said, be open to this man, this man wouldn't have even known what he said. I'm going to heal your ears. I'm going to touch your mouth. Now, back in that day, there was some belief that saliva of certain men were healing, like almost sort of superstitious or like good luck. Like, and I'm not saying Jesus believes in superstition, but in that culture of that day, you know, even in James 5, it says, anoint a man with oil when you pray over the sick. So it was just a, a cultural way of communicating that I'm about to heal you. Puts his fingers in the ears, touches his mouth. And so we see that Jesus here communicates his saving work. He opens, and then look at verse 35. 35 says, immediately his ears were opened, his speech difficulty was removed, and he began to speak clearly. Then he ordered them to tell no one, but the more he would tell them or order them, the more they would proclaim it. And then you get to verse 37, after he opens the ears and the mouth, and they say, to, they say about Jesus, they were extremely astonished. They were amazed at him, and they said, he has done everything what? Well, or everything is good. Does that sound familiar? When was everything good? Genesis 1, right? God created things, and it was good. And it was good, and it was good. And then on the sixth day, after he created man and woman, it was very good. Everything God did in creation was good. Everything he does in creation as well. And everything he does in redemption is also good. It's also well. He has done everything well here. And so, if you see this deaf and mute, now, I'm going to read to you Isaiah 35. He's quoting here, or when Mark says... He even makes the deaf people hear and, and people unable to speak talk. He's drawing on Isaiah 35. So I want you to hear this verse. Listen to Isaiah 35, verse 4. This is a prophecy 700 years ago. Mark is trying to show us that it's being fulfilled. This is what Mark 35 says, or Isaiah 35 says. Say to the cowardly, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. Judgment is coming. He will save you. Now listen to verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened... The ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame, those who can't walk, will leap like the deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. You know what Isaiah is saying there? Isaiah is saying, in Isaiah 29, this is Isaiah 35. In Isaiah 29, God said, we, we learned that a few weeks ago, when he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is what? Far from me. That's Isaiah 29. Woe to you, Jerusalem. Because you trade the traditions of men for the commands of God. Woe to you, you're going to be exiled from the land. Israel was kicked out of the land. And as they're kicked out, Isaiah 35 promises that God is coming. And he will restore his people from the exile. From their judgment. He will save them. And when he saves them, the blind will see. The deaf will hear. And the mute will sing for joy. And the crippled will leap like a deer. That's what's going to happen. When God comes to save. If you read on in Isaiah 35, it says that there's going to be, you know, the lion isn't going to attack anymore. He's starting to talk about the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, the perfect kingdom. When God comes to save, the perfect kingdom that was promised is going to come. That was promised 700 years ago. And now here, 
in the Decapolis, Jesus puts his ears in this guy's puts his fingers in this guy's ears, touches his mouth, and the deaf begins to hear, and the mute begins to speak. This is signaling that the kingdom of God has come. It's here. And it's speaking to something bigger than that. Let me just tell you what it's... It's speaking to something bigger than that. Not just physical hearing and physical speaking. Deuteronomy 29.4, at the end of Moses' ministry, this is what Moses said to Israel. Yet this day the Lord has not given you a mind to understand, eyes to see, or ears to hear. Now, they're hearing Moses say that. Moses is saying to the people, as he's about to die, by the way, as you guys go into the promised land, God hasn't given you guys ears to hear. But they're like, well, we we could hear you talking right now, Moses. No, I'm not talking about physical ears. I'm talking about spiritual ears. You are spiritually deaf. And that's why you guys are going to go into exile. Moses predicted the exile. And then when Isaiah came, Isaiah chapter 6, here am I, send me, you know that story? He says, I'm going to send you to Israel and and they're going to be deaf and blind. And so there was this spiritual deafness. And that's what this miracle is pointing to. Not just that Jesus opens physical ears. He also opens spiritual ears. He saves people. Because if you don't hear God's word, you can't be saved. If you can't hear spiritually, you can't receive the gospel. So Jesus opens spiritual ears ears and he opens spiritual eyes one more thing here in verse 34 look at verse 34 it says then he looked up to heaven and he did what before he said ephatha what did he do after he looked up into heaven he sighed and what sighed and groaned and then he says be opened why the sigh what is he about to do to this man heal him right why would you sigh if you're going to heal him you should be happy right This is going to be awesome. People are going to love this. They're going to say everything is well. Right? He should be happy he's about to heal this man. He's not feeling happy. He's feeling burdened. He's feeling heavy hearted. (sighs) Be opened. Why the heavy sigh? Here's why. He was about to heal this man. But why, why the heavy sigh? His groaning was caused by his clear and focused glimpse into his future suffering. Isaiah 35, 4 says, before it says he's going to open ears, it says the day of judgment is coming. How is God going to open ears? By judging people. There is no opening of ears until judgment comes. Where is judgment going to come for Jesus? On the what? On the cross. Jesus knows to open this man's ears, he has to be judged. The miracle I'm about to do, I got to pay for this miracle. I'm going to pay for it on the cross. That's why Isaiah 53, 7 says, or Isaiah 53, 4 says, He bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains. Verse 5, He was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on Him, and by His wounds we are healed. So Jesus is there about to heal this man. He's just like, ah, almost that let this cup be passed from me, kind of downer. (sighs) Be open knowing that he will have to purchase this healing. And for everyone whose ears are open to believe the gospel, why can you hear and believe in Jesus? Because he purchased your hearing on the cross. You wouldn't be a Christian. You wouldn't hear the gospel. You wouldn't love and know and trust Jesus if he didn't die and pay for your faith. Praise God that he opens our deaf ears by dying for us. He becomes the dog so we can become the children. 
He becomes the outcast so we can be the ones at the table. That's the gospel. So if you're not a Christian, here's what God is telling you today. God made you. He owns you. And you have to answer to him. And God loves you. He does. He loves us. But we are sinners who have rebelled against God. And we deserve God's judgment and wrath. But God sent his son Jesus into the world to become a dog. To die on the cross. To take judgment. To become the deaf, so to speak. In Isaiah 53, 7 it says, He was afflicted and he did not open his mouth. To become mute on the cross. So that we can speak and sing for joy. Jesus died for your sins. And rose from the dead. So that if anyone here will repent from their sins. And trust in Jesus this morning. God will save you. And I've been praying that God would open ears this morning. And open eyes. And open hearts. To hear and believe. God is calling you. Repent from your sins today. And trust in Jesus. This is good news. God's not telling you to open your own ears. Some people say I can't be a Christian until I fix myself. Wrong. You can't fix yourself. Come to Jesus. He'll open your ears. He will change you. And so I plead with you, if you're not a Christian, to trust and entrust your life to him. For our church family, what does this mean? What did, who brought this mute man to Jesus? Others did, right? What does this mean for us? If you're a Christian, you need to bring other people to Jesus. And here's what, here's what I want to challenge you. Challenge me as well. Do you believe that Jesus can open the ears of the unbelievers around you? Do you believe that? If you do, you will bring them to Jesus. You will tell them the gospel. And by the way, when I say bring them to Jesus, I'm not saying bring them to church. Now, you can bring them to church. I will preach the gospel here. But what I'm saying is you need to bring the gospel to them. You need to explain the gospel to your friends and neighbors. You're an evangelist. You're a disciple. So go share the gospel. If you believe that Jesus can open their ears, speak to them. You know why we don't share the gospel? One of the reasons we don't share the gospel? It's not just because we're scared. It's because we don't think they're going to get saved anyways. Some of us say, oh, I know him. He's too hard. He'll never believe. Stop that. Stop that. It's not true. All of us are hard. All of us are deaf. And Jesus can open deaf ears. Don't convince and rationalize and excuse your lack of evangelism. I need to stop making excuses. Jesus can open deaf ears. Bring them to Jesus. Bring the gospel to them. And let God open their ears. Pray that God would open their ears. And if we're a Christian, let's just close by thanking God that he opened our ears and that he opens our mouths to share the gospel with others. Let's look to Jesus. As the song says, Hear him, ye deaf, his praise ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold, your Savior come, and leap ye lame for joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do the impossible. Deaf ears who cannot hear the gospel Blind eyes that will not see the beauty of Jesus. You open them. You save the lost. And we give you all the credit. We take no no credit for our salvation. We have trusted in you, but it has been by your grace. By grace through faith, we have been saved. So, Father, we thank you for your power. We thank you that Jesus hears our prayer. And we pray that we would continue to pray and seek his face. And gospelize our friends and open our mouths so that more and more might hear, believe, and open their mouths in testifying and singing of the grace of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.